The following message is by Brother Doug Birch, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. This is going to be a familiar passage, uh, probably to all of us. Um, a few months ago, Brother Matt preached through a companion text of this, I believe in the book of Matthew, and I'm not trying to re-preach it because I'm going to center on a few different verses here that the other gospel accounts don't um, mention, but um, I think you'll see where I'm going here in just a few minutes. This passage, um, I was actually listening to this passage being preached uh, a few days ago, actually, and it just thrilled me because something was brought out uh, in such a way that I had never, uh, I had never really thought that far with it, and it just was such an inspiration to me. I couldn't get it out of my mind, and so um, it was timely. It was it was inspirational. It was uh, something that was thought provoking, and. Uh, I want to share with you uh, what, what was in my heart when I was hearing uh, this message being preached and from these verses. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It came to pass that uh, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answered, answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had this done, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished at all and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. The phrase, follow me, appears throughout the New Testament many, many times. It is a command that Jesus gives. It's a simple command. It's as far as simple to understand what the words mean. When he commands people to follow him, he expects them to just do what he's doing, to imitate him, to go where he's going, to do as he asks. 
we know that following Christ has its value because we're here. We are worshiping the Lord. We know that this is a command that he has given to us personally, to us as a church, to us as a nation, to us as a people of his creation. And we understand that this is what he requires. Following the Lord, though, also involves some difficulties. And it involves some sacrifice. This is not something that God was... Uh, unfair uh, about he was open about this the Lord was uh, open completely open about this when he was here during his personal ministry he said in Matthew 16 24 if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me so in that phrase in that command there is inherent in it there's going to be some sacrifice you're going to have to deny yourself. Now, we certainly live in a society where self-denial is just not done. We, we have a self-indulgent society. And we have a mindset sometimes, I think, as a collective people that I'll do what you want me to do, Lord, if it's done on my terms. I'll go where you want me to go if, if it is a place that I want to be. But he said, if any man will come after me, let him first deny himself and take up his cross, which is, it shows some kind of hardship, varying degrees, but some kind of hardship. And then he says, follow me. In the next verse he says, for whosoever will save his life, the word will there has a, an expression of a desire. Whoever desires, whoever has a wish to save his own life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. There's the paradox. To find your life, you have to lose it. To be able to follow the Lord, you cannot be desirous first of saving your own life, making things comfortable for you. Sometimes this involves, when we follow the Lord, sometimes this involves doing things that other people will look at us and say, are you crazy? Why are you doing that? I have heard that so many times in my life, in my ministry, that I'm kind of used to it. And if people encourage me and say, that's the good thing to do, that's the right thing to do, I'm kind of second-guessing myself then. So maybe, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. But the Lord was very honest. And you've got people wanting to follow, having a desire to follow, but then also not really counting the cost. Another passage in Matthew 8, 19, a certain scribe came to him, Master... I will follow you whithersoever you go. And then the Lord says, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So there is the question, Are you really wanting to follow me wherever I go? Another disciple said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. 
I'll follow, but I've got some obligations. Now, most scholars speculate that this man's father had not died yet. Maybe he was close to it. I don't know, but maybe he had an obligation to do that and thought that I just need to be free of this obligation and then I'll go where you want me to go. But very sternly and pointedly, the Lord said, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. So that's kind of harsh. Sometimes following the Lord involves sacrifice. Sometimes following the Lord involves giving up something that is very dear to you. And it may not be something that is unimportant. It may be a worthwhile thing. There was another passage where when Jesus was walking by the way and people were flocking to him, much like you see in this passage, there was the story of the rich young ruler who in all of his gettings had gotten himself much money. And as we see in the scripture in different passages, that he had become some kind of a ruler. But he knew he was missing something, and he couldn't figure it out. And so we got to give him some credit. He knew Jesus must have the answer to whatever it is that I'm missing. And so he runs to him, wanting to know, what is it that I've left off? Now this is not, uh, this takes some explaining, but... We know what he said. Jesus said, if you will, that is, if you desire to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, obviously, you, you can't just sell everything you have and then earn salvation that way. What the Lord was doing was picking out the one thing that he knew he couldn't do, not on his own. He knew he couldn't do that. So what he wanted him to do was admit, I cannot do whatever it is that has to be done to be made perfect, whole, spiritually prosperous, whatever it is on my own terms. That's what he was wanting him to admit. And so he, took, he, he picked the one thing that he knew the guy wouldn't follow through on his own to do. If you want to do this on your terms, then you've got to give up everything that I ask you to do and then follow me. The man wanted to be whole. He knew he was missing something, but when he was told the avenue, and when he was told the direction of how to attain it, he, he oh, whoa, wait a minute. He walked away. He went away sorrowful because he had great riches. He failed to see the value in following the Lord and thought that what he'd already attained was more valuable. In order for us to follow the Lord on his terms and in order, us, in order for us to be able to become completely whole, we must see the value in it. Following the Lord in spite of everything else. We come again to our passage 
in verse 1 of chapter 5 here in Luke, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Let's just think about that for a moment. Jesus has just begun his ministry. Now, he's been traveling around. Now, just so we know, this isn't the first time that he has been introduced to these men that he's going to command to follow him when they left their nets and followed. Um, and we'll look at that here in just a few minutes. They've been traveling with him. There are those called disciples that were already traveling with the Lord. Some of them had been eyewitnesses to some of the miracles that he had already performed. Not very many, but he had done some. And he had healed. I shouldn't say not very many because I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know how many people he healed. But he, he healed many people. So much so that when he was preaching, they knew this man's from God. He is the Son of God. And so they were hungry, they were starving, they were yearning to hear the preaching of the Word of God. They wanted it. And so they pressed upon him. They were following him. Pressing upon him to hear the Word of God. Nothing else mattered. They had to have it. And therein is, I think, a challenge for us. How urgent is it for us today to hear the Word of God? Especially now. Um, takes more effort. In some in some cases, people were following the Lord and they were following for the right reasons and then something happened and they went away. And we'll look at that in a few moments as well. Well, in this passage, we, we have a little bit of a challenge trying to uh, reconcile it with the other passages in Mark and in Matthew. I believe that they're the same account when he commanded them to follow him. But there are a, f a couple of things that I wanted to just very uh, quickly go over. This same episode is in Mark 1, 16 through 20, also in Matthew. But I want us to turn over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, just for a few moments. Hold your place there in Luke because we're coming back to it. Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. And you're going to see a little bit of a difference. Again, while you're turning to Mark, remember that what we read in Luke there is when he got to the sea, there were two ships there by the lake, and the fishermen had already gone out of the boats, and they were washing their nets. So keep that in mind when you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. They followed him when he issued the command. Now just... To get the order here correct, again, it's my conviction that these are the same thing, same stories. But I believe 
that in between verses 16 and verse 17 in Mark chapter 1, that's where the narrative of Luke fits. I think you could just read verse 16 and then go back over to Luke and read those first 10 verses and come back to verse 17 and get the full picture. And the reason that I say that is because in uh, verse 16 here, Mark, he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and Galilee and Gennesaret are the same. Uh, we'll look at that here in just a moment, too. I want to tie everything together. Don't worry. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net. But in Luke, it says they were washing the nets. They were all gone out of the ships. Also in Luke's narrative, we see that they had been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. In Mark's narrative, in verse 16 of chapter 1, I believe that Jesus is walking up there. James and John have already finished. They're washing the nets probably. And then Peter is still casting a net. Now this word net here is a different word net than you see in the following verses and in Luke's account. In Luke's account and in the following verses, it's a generic term referring to any kind of net. This particular net is a small circular net or a harp-shaped, I mean a, 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 a yeah, a harp-shaped net that uh, was held in the hand that would just scoop up fish. And so um, it's a different net. It's, it's one that he's still casting here, pear-shaped. I meant, I meant to say pear-shaped. Um, harp-shaped comes from Gennesaret because that's the, that's the name of the town that was around it. And some people believe that Gennesaret was called that because of the lake looking like that from above. This is a pear-shaped net, a handheld net that he's casting. And then they finish. And they're out of the boats, as in Luke's narrative, and they're washing their nets. And so you come into this account in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret and Galilee, like I said, are the same thing. Galilee is the name that we call it in the New Testament. Gennesaret comes from a transliteration of the Hebrew word chinereth that you see in the Old Testament. And that is actually an ancient city that was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. So the lake was sometimes called that. Verse 2 says of Luke chapter 5, He saw two ships standing by the lake, or sitting there by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out because they were finished. And now they're washing their nets. And so verse 3 says, He entered into one of the ships. And that happened to be Simon's. Now, I said a moment ago that this isn't the first time that he's met these men uh, in John chapter 1, and we're not going to turn there. Remember, all these, all these apostles that made up this first church were first uh, uh, disciples of John the Baptist. It was John who pointed out the Messiah to these men and said, Behold, the Son of God, the Messiah that takes away all sin. Andrew was standing with John the Baptist when that happened, and probably John, uh, the beloved we call him, he doesn't call himself, name himself, but everyone I, that I know of believes that it was John. When you read uh, John chapter 1, one of the people who heard him speak, who heard John the Baptist speak was Andrew, and the other one I think is John. And they go and follow the Lord. Andrew goes to get his brother Peter. Simon, really, is his name. The Lord is what called him Peter. And the next day, Philip is given the command, follow me. And then he goes to get Nathaniel. 
these men accompany the Lord. We know those men accompany the Lord, and probably uh, James, because he's the brother of John, is also acquainted with the Lord by this time. So they're traveling with the Lord, no doubt, this whole time. We just don't see their names mentioned in the other gospel accounts like we see them in John, early on, that is. The point I'm trying to make is they were with him, following him. We might even, to use a, a modern-day term, maybe we could say they were bivocational, you know. Can I say something? Well, I'm going to say it anyway. The first 12 years of my pastoral ministry, I was bivocational. It's just the way that it was. And when I moved to another church, I mean, I just almost thought I was in heaven because I didn't have to work another job. And I was just, I just on cloud nine. I mean, I was running to the hospital going over. I had all kinds of energy, you know, people, why, why are you doing that? You don't have to do that today. Just do that. No, I just, I've got to do it. And then a little later, I got a job for lots of reasons. But people thought, why are you doing that? What an embarrassment you are to our church. Now, they didn't say that, but I could tell that's what they thought. It does take a lot of extra effort when you've got a pastor who has to work another job or who is working another job. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget when Brother Matt asked uh, whenever we called him to be our pastor and he had the opportunity to become an instructor at the seminary and ask what the church thought. I don't think I was the first one to stand up, but I do remember standing up and said, whatever you're doing for them is going to help us. So I'm all for it. And uh, I'm glad that we allow our pastor to be bivocational. What you're seeing here is these, these men doing what God wants them to do, but then in this episode, he says, okay, now I really want you to follow me full time. That's the difference here. Not that it's wrong to have another job. He says to them, though, now I want you to really follow me and trust me completely. The men that are traveling with him evidently are going about and fishing when they can do that to support themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what you're seeing here is a test, I believe, by the Lord, just, just trust me. Now, let me just be quick to say this. Just because God is calling on one person to do one thing away doesn't mean that everybody is supposed to do that that way. We have to be careful that, that we, don't, we don't think that... Um, Well, I'll just say that uh, sometimes we can be guilty of putting way too much pressure on pastors, thinking that they have to do it this way because brother so-and-so did it this way. We just have to be careful. Well, the people are pressing on him, wanting to hear the word of God. And so verse 3 says, He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And so we know that he's already introduced himself to Simon. 
Simon's been traveling with him. And so he prayed him. He, he desired, requested that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. You ever been on the lake and you talk or you hear somebody talking and they're way over there? Water is uh, really good and conducive to speech. Your voice carries. And so he goes out into the ship and he sits down to teach the people. That's what they wanted. They were urgently pressing upon him because they wanted to hear the word of God. And so he was out there and he was teaching them the word of God. Now when he had left speaking though, verse 4, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Now this net is the generic form of the word net. It is probably like a dragnet. Sometimes in the first century, these dragnets were a half a mile long. And they would stretch, stretch them from ship to ship. And they would have weights on them. And then sometimes corks on the tops of them. And they would just sail. And they would gather this net and just gather in a whole bunch of fish. And so he says, Simon. Now this is just, to me, it's, it's just almost humorous. He, he has taught the people He's fed them spiritual food. He's aware that Simon and the rest of the fellows have been fishing all night long. And they haven't caught anything. Now some of you are fishermen. And that's great. More power to you. I am not. I've had countless members of churches that I've passed. Come on preacher, let's go fishing. Okay. It is not fun to me. To sit in a boat all day long and not catch anything. Some people love it. Doug Birch doesn't. But that's, that's fine. I know, you know, some people like well, This was Simon's occupation. And the Lord has finished preaching. And he says, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets to catch a whole bunch of fish. Simon answering said, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, forgive me if you think I'm going too far, but I believe that Simon is, this is my boat. I know how to fish. We've been out here all night. There ain't no fish here. But just because you asked, I'm going to prove to you that there's no fish here. Now, I know I'm taking some liberties that may not be. But I think that's how we sometimes treat the Lord. I know what I'm doing, Lord. You stick to preaching, and I'll stick to what I know. The same Lord who spoke this world into existence and created the fish and created everything that we enjoy is not limited in his knowledge of where the fish just happened to be. He knew he didn't need the little sonar thing, you know, 
He, he didn't, he just knew. Simon, let down your net. Master, we, we've already, we've just washed the nets. We've already done this. Nevertheless, out of respect for who you are, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. I mean, he's, cast, he, he's already done the other stuff, and they, when Jesus walks up on him, he's casting that little net. Maybe there's something over here. And now, they've let down this bigger net, and it's breaking under the strain of the multitude of fish that they, did, they just caught. And so they beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came. And they filled, listen, they filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Now listen, they've got nets designed to carry fish, and they're breaking. They got boats designed to carry fish and men, and they're sinking. They've got so many fish. They're sinking. They've got so many fish. So Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Let's hold our thoughts there because I want to turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We read in verse 2 that as Jesus was teaching around the Sea of Galilee, same place. Verse 2 of John chapter 6, a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Same kind of thing. People in Luke chapter 5 are thronging Jesus, pressing upon him to hear the word of God. They know what he can do. They know that he's come from God. And the same thing happens here. Jesus had lifted up his eyes in verse 5 and he saw the great company. And so he says to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. A lot of the time when Jesus tells you to do something, I shouldn't say a lot of the time, Every time when Jesus tells you to do something, in me something, he already knows what he's going to do. He did this to prove Philip. Philip, instead of answering the question, remember, the question was, where is the source? Whence. That's what whence means. What's the source? Instead of answering the question, Philip says, how it can't. Happened. 200 penny worth, 200 days wages of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them would take a little. That's not what he asked. What's the source, Philip? Where can we buy bread? Where can we get it? 
that these people can eat. And a lot of times the Lord's asking us, he wants us to answer, you are the source. You can make it. It can't happen by me, but you can make this happen. But a lot of times we just want to give him an analytical exposition of how it can't happen. Lord, we fished all night. They're not here. They're somewhere else. They're not here. I think we could say the same thing. This he said to prove Simon because he already knew where the fish were. Well, we know what happened. He fed them. And then he told the disciples, the apostles, go and fill your baskets full. And they, they remember, they, 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 it can't be done. How many baskets of fragments did they have? Twelve. One basket for every man who probably along with Philip thought it can't be done. Out of a boy's lunch, they had enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets of the fragments. How could you have a fragment of something that you didn't have very much of to begin with? Because Jesus is the source. How can you bring in so much fish that your nets break, and then when you bring another boat over that both boats begin to sink under the sheer weight of it, how can that happen when you fished all night? Because Jesus is the source. He's the one that we're following. So when he says, follow me, he already knows what he's going to do. In this same passage in John 6, the very next day, the multitudes came back. And this is always fascinating to me. He fed them. I mean, it was just miraculous. They were there for the right reasons. They were following him. And he fed them. And they came back. Verse 26 of John chapter 6, Jesus answered them and said, Verily I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Free meal. Welfare. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. They got on the dole and they didn't want to get off. And what's amazing to me, Jesus, who loves everybody way more than we ever could, refused to give, to give them what they wanted. He refused. He would not feed them again. He said, if you want to follow me, you need to seek me. Labor not for the meat that's, that perishes, but for that meat which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him has, the God, has God the Father sealed. He begin, begins to tell them that they need to eat him, that is, believe in him. They just couldn't get past the physical. And this is... This is the saddest thing that I think that I've ever... You know, let me just interject this too. Throughout my ministry, I have had people say, Brother Doug, we've got to do this. Boy, that'll bring them in. We've got to do that. That'll bring them in. And I'm just always uh, raining on everybody's parade, I guess. 
Because I would say, but where's that going to lead? Brother Chris Morrison said a long time ago of himself, and I think that I can say the same thing, there, there's a gas pedal and there's a brake pedal in every church. He said, I'm the brake pedal. And that's what I was. Because people, boy, let's go, let's do this, let's do that. And I said, I, no, I don't want to do that. Where's that going to lead? Oh, it'll draw them in. It will. It will. But what are we going to have to do to keep them here? We're going to have to do something bigger and better because the flesh is never satisfied. But John chapter 6 to me is strong testimony that if people are there for the wrong reasons, you don't give them what they want. You offer them what they need. And the saddest thing, verse 60 of John chapter 6, many therefore, after he had told them what they needed, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said, does this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, their spirit and their life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given him by the Father. Verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Isn't that sad? It's tragic. They've got the Son of God right there saying, follow me. And they left him. They left him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, will you go away? Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the right answer. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go where we can get filled the way Jesus wants to fill us? Where are we going to go and who are we going to follow that's really going to give us what we need? So back in our text in Luke 5, Master, we toiled all night, but we'll let down our nets because you have asked. And so they've gotten help to bring in this fish. And so Peter, when he sees it, I, I like the way that he responds. He, he doesn't say, whoa, wow, look at this. You come fishing with us every time. You're good luck. He, he is come face to face with who Jesus really is. He's the Son of God. And he comes face to face as, as, as um, Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am ruined because I've come face to face with the majesty, the holiness of God. The sovereignty of God. Daniel, when he came face to face, there, there remained no strength in me because of what I had witnessed. And Peter says... I am not even worthy 
for you to be in my presence. Depart from me. I am a man of iniquity. I am a sinful man. Because he was astonished at what had happened. Now, he had already seen miracles. Now, depending, now Luke says his mother-in-law was healed right before this, but the other gospel accounts say that she was healed after this. So, I can't use that as an example. Maybe she'd already been healed. I don't know. But he'd already seen some miracles. But this one hit home because he's a fisherman. And he's been fishing all night. This is his occupation. I know what I'm doing. But look what happened. It didn't just happen. The Lord. The Lord knew that's where the fish are. Drop your net right there. Okay. And I can just about look back on my life. When the Lord told me to do something. And I knew he was there. And I was like, whatever. It's not going to work, Lord, but this is what you want, and that's what I'll do. I'll prove to you this isn't going to work. And then when it works, what is our response? Well, okay. Or is it like Peter? Lord, I'm so unworthy. I am so unworthy to be in your presence. We are. We are unworthy to be in the presence of God. That's kind of the point. Because we are unworthy to be in the presence of God, God loved us so much that He sent us His Son. That we, when we believe in Him, we, because He is our high priest, we can then go boldly into the throne of, uh, into the throne of grace, into the presence of God. Because Jesus is there. God is unimpressed by my righteousness. He is only appeased at the righteousness of His Son. And because I have Jesus living in me, the Holy Spirit of God living in me, Jesus' blood has covered my sin-deadedness. And though I am a sinful man, I come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. And I am I'm not worthy to be in His presence, yet I am because Jesus declares it to be so when we believe in Him. He was astonished, and so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But look what Jesus said, Simon... Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. You know, it's amazing to me that they had the biggest catch they ever had. But when Jesus commanded them, they left it all. Isn't that a testimony? Years ago, when I was pastor at New Galilee and Amity, we had a missionary that we supported, Joel Cobbs, from a uh, missionary to Africa. 
And I remember his testimony to the church was much like this. He said, I was praying, I was laboring over, Lord, are you calling me to the mission field? Is this, where, is this where you want me to go? And he had a good job. And he got a big promotion. And that's when he knew God was going to take care of him. He resigned his position. And everybody said, you're nuts. What are you, his family, what are you doing? God has not blessed you to leave it. You ever heard that? God didn't put you there for you to walk away from it. Well, how do you know? There are things that God is going to tell you to do, and only you will know for sure, and everybody else is going to think you're nuts. The important thing is you know you're not. If you know God's wanting you to do something, just do it. And who cares what anybody else thinks? I've always, I've always remembered that. I don't know, again, if he was using this text when he gave us that testimony, but I do remember him saying that. That it was when he got the promotion, that's when he knew God was going to take care of him. And he went. That doesn't mean that things were not difficult when he got there. It's Africa. It's not, I mean, it was hard. But he went because he knew the Lord wanted him to go. These men, you know, they didn't start counting the fish. Oh, look here. Let's just keep on. We're going out tomorrow night too, Lord. You'll come? No, he was in the presence of God and he knew it. I'm not worthy. That's all he could think of. He came face to face with his humanity. And he said, Lord, I... Depart from me. Same thing that you see others in the presence of God quaking because if you're in the presence of God, you cannot live. And so that's why Jesus said, don't be afraid. You are in the presence of God, but don't be afraid. I'm right here with you and everything's going to be just fine. If you've seen this and been amazed at this, Boy, you're really going to be amazed when you start catching men. Just follow me. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And I think the order is seen in Mark's account. He, he spoke this to Peter because they were in the same boat. And he said when they came to shore, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. And he did. And then they went a little bit further because by then James and John. Now this is my opinion how it happened. James and John had come to the shore in their father's boat. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they did. They did. They didn't say, no, wait, wait a minute, Lord. We got, we got this fish. You, you just blessed us. Surely you... You want us to keep doing this, right? That's, that's what you were doing. No, Jesus sometimes blesses us, overwhelmingly blesses us to simply show us who he is. And how much of the time when things get tough do we shortchange God? Oh, I can't afford to give my offering this time. I got to make this go a long way. 
Do you know that the Lord can stretch a dollar a lot further than you can? He can. They say, what, but he, can, can he make something out of nothing? He sure can. He can make something out of nothing. You remember the woman who was about to go under? She didn't have anything to pay her bills. And Jesus said, go borrow a bunch of pictures. Not a few, a bunch of them. I just have this little bitty oil, just a small amount. Just start pouring it in the pitchers. And I mean, she's, she's pouring them in. I'm like, I mean, it just keeps pouring out. That's because the Lord's putting it in there when sometimes we're not looking. And she just kept pouring it out. Bring me another pitcher. She just kept pouring out. Bring me another pitcher. Well, there's not anymore. Oh, well, it's empty now. Follow God. He'll take you right where you need to be. And He'll give you exactly what you need to have. We pray you were encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats, as well as our website at northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.